God is still good, isn't he? Has God changed? Has God been moved off his throne? This is a very interesting time in history, isn't it? It seems like it just keeps going and going too, huh? Things keep getting worse and worse in some ways, and yet God is still God. It doesn't matter what happens and, and how bad things get, God is still going to be God. I keep thinking, I just said there in prayer, but I keep thinking about and, uh, and some of the people that I listen to that encourage me um, have been saying the same things, that even in Egypt, right, was Goshen. And even right there in the wilderness, you know, Moses is leading the people through the wilderness, through literally there's nothing, there's no food, there's no water. And God, uh, in fact, the word says, chose to lead them that way so that they had to rely on him and trust him. So God is leading us. God is going to take care of us. It doesn't matter where we end up. It doesn't matter what it looks like in the natural. You know, your circumstances may even look grim, but God will be there for you, and it's a chance for him to show himself strong to you. I just want to get into his word, and uh, we had, and if you're following along in our Bible reading uh, as a church, we've been going through the book uh, recently of Corinthians and then into Second Corinthians. And on Thursday, something struck me from the book of Second Corinthians, chapter one. Second Corinthians, chapter one, verse three. It says, "All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. I want you to hear that. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Everybody say, he's the source of all comfort. It says in verse 4, he comforts us. And now what Paul is referring to is, himself. He wasn't actually referring to the group, so a lot of people will quote the verse, he comforts us in our tribulation, he comforts us in our trouble, and there's nothing wrong with saying that because that's going to be implied in the next verses. But specifically, the context here is what Paul is saying, that God has comforted me and, the, and my fellow workers. God has comforted me so that I, everybody say, we are comforted so that we can comfort. The Bible says that Paul said to them, God has comforted us, those that are working in the kingdom, those that are we're working to establish this church here in, in Corinth, and we've been working to love you and to care for you, and it's come at somewhat of a price by being a child of God and by walking with God. I know that everything I need is in him, but there is a cost, right? Who knows that there is a cost still to follow the Lord? Right? Who has who has felt that cost? Right? You felt some of those, some of that wearing, but it's a good cost. Right? Everybody say it's worth the cost. Right? Because God is there with us. In fact, Paul says, you know, elsewhere he says that I I've gone through these things, and and God said to me, He said, I want you to rely on grace. My grace is sufficient for you. And He said. In fact, what happened is, is and I'm just putting it in my own words, but he said, I got to the place where I decided that if I ha have to go through some things, it's actually worth it 
I want to be there because then I found that Jesus was there with me. That's the place where his presence showed up. So when I'm actually suffering and going through things, that's where uh, I was most um, aware that God is with me, right? So God never leaves us and God never forsakes us, right? Who knows that, right? But when we're busy, when things are good, when we're doing, we're we're giving him some quick praise, we give him some quick glory, and then we, we move on with our day. And I, I'm not saying that you're going to go to hell because of that. It's not a heaven or hell thing. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. But, right, when things are good, we're a little bit less aware of his presence, unless you're Dan, right? <laughs> Dan's in worship 24-7. But for us, the rest of us, we give God glory, but when things begin to get tough or there's a situation that requires some prayer, we become much more aware. In fact, we crave it. We say, Lord, I need your presence right now. I need to feel you close to me, and we begin to crave it. We begin to cry out for it, and that's where we find him the most. It doesn't mean he wasn't with us before, but that's where the comfort of God becomes clear. So what he's saying here is that God has become my comfort. I've had some troubles, but I've also been comforted. I've gone through some things, but God has been there. Amen. And he said, when they are troubled, those, the people that I'm able to comfort. So he says, God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort because there's going to be people in your path. There's going to be people in your life and in your church and your family that are going to need also what you have found in Christ. Who has found hope in the Lord? Who has found peace and life in Him? Well, every single day, there's somebody in your life, there's an opportunity. Now, it doesn't mean that you are leading people to the Lord every single moment of every single day. Some of those people right now, they just need some love. They just need maybe some grace. Maybe they just need to be comforted right now. But ultimately, right, we are bringing them to the Lord, or if they've already come to the Lord, we are helping them along in that journey. And so he says, when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And what, I, what, I, what caught my eye when I read this, and then much, like much of the Bible, especially when Paul's the writer, it's repetitive. Who has found that, Right. It's said over and over and over again, but especially Paul. But God does that on, pur and, uh, on purpose because he wants us to get something. So he says it over and over again from verse 3 through verse 7. He says that we are comforted so that we are able to comfort. Say, we are comforted. Come on, everybody together. God comforts us so that we will be able to give the same comfort that God has given us. He says in verse 5, uh, the more we suffer, in fact, for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. So not only does he say, I've been comforted, I just want you to know I've been comforted. But the amazing thing, because God does so many things at once, right? Let's just read that verse. I'm going to go right there. I have it here. I, I quote it almost every week, if not every other week, but I'm going to... We're going to look at this. Romans 8, verse 28. It says, I'm reading out of the NLT. Uh, you may know it as all things. The NLT says, and we know that God causes every single thing. 
God causes all things, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So God is able to do multiple things at once. And what God does is God is working in your life. You're going through something and God is there giving an answer, right? You're struggling with the Lord. You're struggling with a person. You're struggling with a situation. And so you dig in, you come to the Lord, and God ends up giving you the grace, the mercy, and the comfort that you need. But the amazing thing about everything that God does in us is that it's not just for you. Say, it's not just for me. And you can go through the entire Bible, right from Adam and Eve, right through the book of Revelation, and there is not one story in that entire Bible that is just about them. God does two things at once. It doesn't mean that God's skipping over you. You know, some people are building churches, skipping over the people. I know that sounds funny. But God is not skipping over you so that he can get to the next person. That's not what I'm trying to say. God does something so incredible, so supernatural, that meanwhile, while God is working in you, it is your issue. This is something you had to deal with, but God gave you a victory in it. You came out the other side with a testimony, right? Who has come out of victories with a testimony, right? You, you went through something and you have it. The amazing thing about God, though, is that, yes, that's for you. That gives you a strength, and you can hold on to the Lord. And what happens is the devil tries to rock you in that situation again, and what do you do? You grab onto your testimony, right? The Bible says we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. Word of the testimony, right? It's, the, it's not just his word. It was God's word is the testimony, but it's your life intertwined with his word creates your testimony. And so his blood... And your testimony has given you a strength. And that strength in you is able to carry you through the next situation. Something comes and tries to rock you. And you grab a hold of it and you say, no, the Lord has been there with me all along. He's not going to leave me now. But God does something supernatural through it. And it's that it gives you actually a gift. There is not just a strength for you. But now you have obtained a gift within you that you can give to others. It's as if when you give it to the next person, as if they lived it themselves. Now, not everybody receives it that way, right? Who is the child that looks at the burner and says, is it really hot? Right? Or do you just say it's hot? You know, sometimes when I'm trying to understand a concept in God's word, I actually say to the Lord in my prayers, in my head, I'll say, Lord, I know the burner's hot. I'm going to believe you in this area. I don't want you to teach me. I don't need you to teach me that this is, this is truth. I'm going to just believe it now because I know out of your love and grace for me that if I will not submit because I believe you, you will allow me to touch it so that I can see how hot it is. So I'm going to just believe you and trust you. And so sometimes we try to, uh, to bring comfort and, you know, we can't try to put what God's given, you know, to you on someone before the right time and force your testimony into someone and just expect them to snap out of it. I have to remember that it was something that you went through for a while. Sometimes we share it. It doesn't necessarily shock the person out of it. Don't get burdened by that. That's not what I'm trying to say today. But what I'm trying to say is that God has given you a comfort and, then, and God has given you a grace. Everybody say grace. When you've gone through something God gives you a soft spot in that area for other people that are going through it. Who has found that? 
right? You end up actually having grace that other people don't have for that person. Some people just brush the rest off because they're struggling in an area, but you know what it's been to go through it. So the amazing thing is, is that that's what he goes on to say. He's saying, the more we suffer, you know, we go through things, but God, everything we go through, God is equally there with his grace and mercy and hope and life. No matter what I face, I also saw God there. And he says, even when we're weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you, then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. So what he says is, he's saying, I've experienced it, I've found it, and in fact, there's two things happening at once. It's actually been for your benefit. He's not saying directly that, hey, I went through this so you could have comfort. I didn't. He's not saying that God puts you through things so that you have a testimony so that you can help the next person. Because God's doing their eight, Romans 8, 28, where he's working all things together, he says, hey, this person has been overcome with addiction. I can use that. I didn't make them get addicted, right? God did, doesn't make you get addicted, right? Just like God doesn't make you choose him. Who chose God, right? Right? By choice. God doesn't make you choose him, and he doesn't make you choose your addictions. But you know what he says? He says, uh, that addiction right there, when they submit to me and come to me, and it turns into grace and mercy, and they're going to find a comfort in me, there's going to be something that's going to grow in them. There's going to be a testimony that I can use as God for the next person that's also suffering in that very same area. And so uh, he says, then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. In other words, there's something I have that God has given me, and it's not just personal, but it's so that I have now the ability to help another in that area. So he says in verse 7, we are confident as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives. So there is this sharing, and in fact, it's actually even so much greater because we're a body. Who knows we're the body of Christ, right? We are a body, which means that there are many parts. In fact, you can find that in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and in 1 Peter 4. I just want to read some of those verses. Uh, we are a body, and each of us have gone through different things. We're all looking at the same Lord. Who knows the destination and the finish line is exactly the same for every single person. But every single person's journey has been different, right? Every single one of us, our battle has been different. And every single one of us has personal testimonies that are different. But we all have the, the same ultimate testimony that it was Christ who met us there on the road, right? He met us in our blindness. He met us in our hurt. Or he met us in our pride. And he humbled us. But he met us on our path he brought the comfort to us, and something began to happen internally. We were changed, but we there was something that God created in us that now is meant to be given. It's not meant to be held. 
The person that God made you to be is not for you. Yes, there is a constant refining that's going to continue for the rest of your life. God is always refining. You know, in heaven, because the Bible says that God refines us as gold, right? Does everybody know that? Well, in heaven, do you know that gold is transparent? The Bible says that the gold is so pure in heaven that it's clear, right? Does everybody know the verses, right? It's right from our word, which means that if we're going to apply a godly principle, uh, we're going to apply it, we need to, to our lives, we need to look at it through the definition of the word. So the godly principle is that he, he purifies us as gold. Okay, well, is that like the earth purifies gold, right? They purify it till it's, who's ever had a piece of gold or silver? Right? It says on it, point nine 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 nine. right? Well, God's like, I don't, you know, 9999, that's great for the world. That's fine. You guys, can, you guys can exchange with that, and you guys can make jewelry with that. That's fine for you guys, but for me, I want 100%. And so God keeps purifying, right? He keeps purifying till we are so clear, so clear of impurities that you know what he sees? A reflection of himself. When God looks at you, he sees himself. So yes, there is a constant refining. So I'm not saying that God's not going to keep working on you, but the point is that yes, while he's doing that, at the same exact time, what he's doing in you, it's not just you at the altar and you, you with your privacy before the Lord the rest of your life. That is a very intimate and very vital portion of walking with the Lord. And in fact, the second part doesn't make sense without that first part. Yes, you must submit to the Lord. You must let him work on you. You must let him change you. You have to break at the cross. You have to come to him and give him everything and let him build that testimony in you. But that testimony is not just for you. God has created you to be a part of the body. And you, it used to be that when we talked about the body and we talked about the gifts, everybody um, for many years thought that that was just like what happened in this room. You know, just what happened in the building called the church. But, but really, the church, because we, we are aware by the word of God, right, defined by the word and not just defined by our culture, that the church is not just a building, but it is who we are. That we are the body, right? And we've got an electrician, right? right? We've got guys out in the field, right, in people's homes, right? We have different things going on, right? We've got someone going into restaurants, right? We've got each of us are going into different places and doing different things. And you are not just the body when you come to church on Sunday. You are the body of Christ wherever you are. In every single situation, every single lunch, every time you hold the door open, every transaction that you have with a person, you are the body of Christ. And the Bible says in uh, Romans 12 that our bodies have many parts. There's many functions. I'm just going to kind of breeze through some of these lists here. But this is Romans 12 and verse 4 through 16, uh, where many parts and we all belong to each other. And it says he's given us different gifts for doing certain things. Well, everybody say, I'm different than you, pointing to your neighbor, right? We're all different, and yet we're all the same. We've all been redeemed by Christ, and we're all working for the same exact goal, but we've all been given different gifts, different abilities, and he tells us, Whatever it is, to do it well. Verse 7, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. If it's teacher, teach well. If it's encouraging, to be, then to encourage. And if it's to give, then give generously. If it's to lead, take, uh, take that responsibility seriously. And he goes on and says to love each other, 
Verse 10, to take delight in honoring each other. Verse 11, never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoicing in our confident hope and patient in trouble and praying. Verse 13, and when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Verse 15, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. If you really go down and you break down this, this chunk of Scripture, and again, you can find it in 1 Corinthians 12, I'd like to read as well, what you're going to find is that we're all in different places at different times, but each one of us is helping each other in an area that the other is complimenting each other, right? This is the way that God's body is meant to work, just like a husband and wife, right, are two completely different parts of one singular unit. Sometimes people don't understand how can God be one but be multiple, and yet the Bible says that the two become one. We literally have a picture of God being multiple parts and one here on the earth. The scriptures literally say the husband and wife have become one flesh. It's not that hard to figure out, right? We are one mind, and yet we are two individuals to that part. And so the Lord says here in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 4, all the way through, again, through, um, you can kind of just breeze through it, but through 26, there's different spiritual gifts, and it's the same spirit. It says there's different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. He works in different ways, but it's the same God. Are you guys getting the picture here? That it's, we're all different, but that we all have, we've all been, gone through something that has created a comfort in us, and it's there to comfort someone else. We're all doing something different and have gone through different things, and we must learn to give each other, uh, and I think we do in this church, I really do, I think it's a healthy thing that we have, but to give each other grace in the areas that we haven't overcome, and to let them teach us in the areas that we have not overcome, and that we all are sharpening each other to come to the fullness of Christ. And he says, uh, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 12, it's, it's uh, the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but many parts, verse 12, make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where He wants it. Verse 18, it says, Our bodies have many parts, but God has put each part just where he wants it. Are you kidding me? Are you sure, God? Are you sure you put us where you wanted us? Isn't that amazing that actually God, we think we had something to do with it, and yes, you, you do have a choice. I say God gives you the choice, but he has a way of compelling you to make the right choice, doesn't he? God puts you in the right group of people. He puts you into, right? I mean, you didn't have a choice in the family you are born in, right? You didn't have that choice, but then you do have some choices along the way, right? Am I going to get bitter about the way I was raised? Or am I going to get, you know, uh, let the enemy drag me into, you know, you're in a rough neighborhood or you're in a very, you're in a group that's a lot of peer pressure, right? There are some choices that you're making along the way. But God is moving, right? He's, you can look back at your path, and you can see how God was with you every step of the way, also calling you onto his path and into his plan for your life. And so I believe his word, because his word says it, that God has put us where he wants us. And you might think, man, 
how the heck did I get here? <laughs> how did we go through all these things and go through all this stuff, right, and move to this place and move to that place and all these hurts and, and achievements and falls, and yet, and here we are, and we say, God, you were with us, and you have put us right where you want us. See, because God is letting you make choices and decisions, but he's also ahead of you. He's over here knowing the choices and decisions that you're going to make before you do. And he's already got a plan of redemption along the way. Isn't that amazing? That God doesn't just let us say, well, you know what? We do this, right? This is what the earth does. Well, I gave you a chance. Well, I gave them a chance. Imagine God was like, I gave you one chance. I gave you seven chances. I gave you a hundred chances. I gave you a thousand chances, and it's a thousand one now, so we're done. He's constantly, I believe, moving and shaping and shifting with us. It doesn't mean that he's caught off guard, but he knows what you're going through, and, and there's something that's building and growing and shaping in the midst of it, right? We're being changed along the way, and this testimony and this comfort is growing to use us for his purpose. It says, how strange, verse 19, would it be if, we only, if the body only had one part? In verse 20, there, yes, there's many parts, but one body. Verse 21, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Verse 26, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. And so you see, based on the word that, and, and this is, you know, this is all teaching that I think many of you have heard many times before, and um, I think it's a good reminder of who we are and what God is doing, that each of us has something to offer. Each and every single, per each and every person in the kingdom of God has something to offer. And it's not just to offer in a, you know, like somebody opens the door, somebody vacuums the floor, somebody preaches a sermon. We need to get outside the building and think that God has put you in the job you're in. He's put you with the past. You know, it doesn't mean that he did it to you, but he's put you with the past you've been through with a particular group of people that need your testimony. There are gifts and abilities and testimonies within you that God has put you in that place. It says he puts you just where he wants you so that he can use you. Now, we don't have time, but, you know, you can look at the story of Joseph. I'm not going to break it open and read it now, but just think about his life for a moment. Maybe we'll look at him soon. It's been a while. But if you look at the story of Joseph, if you read outside of the story and you read in the Psalms and you read the commentaries, right? Who knows all the verses, right? That co they, they comment, God is commenting back on the story of Joseph, right? We've just read some of them recently. And you know what it always says? It always says something like, and I sent Joseph there ahead of you. Whenever they're commenting back about the story, I don't read that in the details. The details say, Wait a second, his brothers got jealous and they got bitter and they sold him into slavery. And yet when God is commenting on the story years later, I sent Joseph there ahead of you. What is he, what's the word saying? Is it saying two different things? No, of course not. God's saying, I knew that this was going to happen. I put an ability to lead and a gift inside you that had to be crafted and shaped and molded. It took 13 years for that thing to grow, right? And to get any type of pride out of your heart and bitterness and weirdness out of your heart. That's its own process. 
But I knew that your brothers around you would be jealous of you and bitter, and I knew that they would sell you into slavery, so I used it for your advantage, because I elevated you, for your people's advantage, because I saved their lives, and ultimately for the world around them. Even Egypt itself, which was pure world, was also saved because of Joseph. You realize they all would have died, everyone. So isn't that amazing that the Lord's doing multiple things at once? He's changing a person, an individual. He's saving his people, and he's also affecting the world all at the same exact time. But if you were to break it down by detail, you would just say, well, they got bitter and jealous and sold me into slavery. And yet God is working way, way beyond and bigger and taking situations that are out of our control, out of our hands, out of our um, even grasp of understanding. But if we will submit to it and let us work in us, let him work in us, there's something he's growing that is going to change not only you, but potentially the people around you and affect the world around you. And again, it says in 1 Peter 4, um, it says, God's given, verse 10, each of you a gift with his great variety of spiritual gifts. It says, use them well to serve one another. I want you to say this out loud. My gift is not for me, but for another. It says in verse 11, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? See, everybody thinks the gifts are just speaking or, or you know, we get perceptions of what gifts are. Well, like God's given gifts, God's given people gifts. God's given everybody a place, every single person, the quietest person and the loudest person. God has given them gifts to use for his kingdom, for his glory, for his church, and to affect the world. And it says, do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do, everybody say, everything I do brings glory to God. Right? It says, everything I do will bring him glory. If, I've, if God has given me a gift and I recognize that it wasn't him that did it, but I have be I've become to a place where I have testimonies multiple within me. I have giftings that have been crafted within me. They, I was, yes, born, you know, we're all born a certain way. Like Tiger Woods, you know, he's obviously is gifted. But, you know, he's not just born a golfer, right? He also went to the range. I don't remember how many hours, but he was a little boy, and he would go there to have his mom drop him off every single day and just hit hit buckets of balls, and just hit them, hit them, hit them all day, every day. And his, he developed his craft. But yes, obviously, I probably will never play golf as much as I practice as good as him. You understand that each of us has, right? I'm not going to ever dunk like Michael Jordan. But I could throw a whole bunch of basketballs and get better. Sure, anybody in here could get better at anything, but there are certain gifts and certain abilities that a person has. Is that, can we recognize that? Right? Some people are meant to be really smart at things, but then the person who's working with their hands doesn't mean they're not smart. It's a different type of smarts, right? But we usually consider the book the smart guy and this guy the guy who didn't want to apply himself. But imagine the guy who the world says doesn't apply himself decided, I don't want to build your roads anymore. I'm not going to mow the lawn anymore. I'm not going to build your house anymore, right? So we all have a place, and each of them is needed because they're all fitting together, right? 
right? I need the doctor who's applied himself, right? And, and, and says, I want to I work on the human body and has required an incredible amount of concentration and book time. And then he needs someone to build his house. He can't even understand the concept of building a house. Can't even understand the concept of maybe even just nailing in a piece of trim. That doesn't mean he's dumb. That means that his mind is different than this guy's mind, right? And he can't look at him and say, wow, you're dumb because you're not rich and you haven't applied yourself in college. And so God actually is using all of us with our stories, with our situations, things with spouses, things with friends, things with loved ones, all of it. You realize all of it is all working together to put you into the place that you're sitting in right here and now. And within you is a gift that has been crafted and shaped and a testimony that has gone through the fires. And he tells us if we will use it with all the strength and energy that God supplies, it's not, it's not do your best, okay, get up, grab yourself, and, and really use your gift well. He says if you will do it with all the energy that God supplies, then everything you do will bring God glory through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Wow. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, everybody knows this is, this is one of the most, like, uh, uh, famous things that uh, Paul said. I think as soon as I start saying it, you'll just remember right away. 1 Corinthians 3 says, when one of you says, verse 4, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, right? Aren't you acting just like people of the world? He says, uh, after all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? This, Paul's the one speaking. He's like, who's Apollos? Who am I? It's not us individuals. It's not that God's skipping over us. It's not that we as individuals don't matter and God doesn't care about us. That's not what I'm trying to say. But who are we? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. We just happen to be the people that God put in your path to bring the gospel to you. But I don't want you to praise us, and I don't want you to choose to follow this one or that one. I want you to see that it's God. I want you to see that it just happened to be that I'm the guy. My name's Paul. This guy's name's Apollos, right? There's Annie. Here's Aaron. It doesn't matter who it was. It was that somebody got in your path that presented you to the true testimony, the testimony. God used your testimony to get you to the testimony. Amen. Do we get that? God used your testimony to direct you to the testimony. And it says, it says that uh, we are just his servants, and each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I'm just doing the work the Lord gave me to do. Imagine we just all did that, and I believe that we do. I believe that this church is very healthy and that each of you in your workplaces and in your families are representatives of Christ. Imagine that the whole church did it. Imagine that the world could see the church just doing what God gave them to do and not all this warring and fighting and struggling and then just dabbling in the world. And we just did what the Lord told us to do and and gave from what he's given us and some of those stories have heartache and heartbreak and bitterness and hurts in them, but there's a testimony in there that someone else needs. 
somebody's going through something right now and they need to be encouraged by you. And if we are too obsessed with ourselves and don't realize that, you know, this season I went through, it was hard, but I've been through it and I need to put me aside. I need to look at this person who's going through it now. It says, I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting, who does the watering. What's important is God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. That means each and every one of us. You know, you might just be kind to someone one day, and that actually puts them in a good mood for the next person to say something Christian, quote-unquote. Because you might not feel like it was just, you know, you weren't like leading them into the gates of heaven when you were just kind to them, but you might have been the thing that they needed that day to make them more receptive to actually hearing the words from the next person. And the point is that each of us has a place, and each of the body of Christ has a place and something to do to to build each other up, to encourage each other, and to affect this world. And says the one who plants, the one who waters, we're working together for the same purpose. Both will be rewarded for their own hard work. And verse 9, both are God's workers. Jeremiah, he said, verse 20, I mean chapter 20, verse 7. Thank you, Mariah. I know I'm just blazing through these scriptures. Thanks for keeping up with me. It says in Jeremiah 20, verse 7, he says, Oh, Lord, you misled me, and I allowed myself to be misled. You are stronger than I am, and I've been overpowered. You've overpowered me. I'm mocked every day. Everyone laughs at me. Jeremiah is venting to the Lord. He's like, Lord, you misled me. You told me that when I got saved, everything was going to get easy. God didn't say that. I'm just joking. But sometimes, right, who has been, who's ever heard the gospel that once you get saved, everything will get easier? That was a lie, right? Once we get saved, everything will be true, and our eyes will be open, and everything will be right. That's the truth. Now, if we really want to get into semantics and split hairs, it does get easier because I'm doing the right thing. Sure, it's easy to do it wrong, right? Let's just use school as a good analogy. If I don't do my homework, that's easy, right? But if I do my homework, it's harder, and yet it's better. <laughs> it's, it's good for my life. It's going to be easier for the rest of my life. Does that make sense? So, yes, it seems like it was easy to live in the world. It's just easy to go with the flow, isn't it? It's so easy just to go along with the world. It's only harder because your flesh is stubborn. <laughs> it actually is easier, but our flesh doesn't want to submit yet. And so Jeremiah, though, he's going through this, this war within himself and with God, and he's like, Lord... I did everything you told me to do, and all I ever get is insult. Everyone's mocking me. They're all laughing at me. He says, when I speak the words, they burst out of me. I can't help it. All I have is I have this prophecy within me. He says, violence and destruction, I shout. 
He can't help it. The Lord put in a message in him because he was trying to warn the generation that, hey, some things are going to change in your world. God's going to judge this nation because you haven't repented. And he said, so, Lord, I'm doing it. I can't even help it. He says, I, the words, they burst out of me. And he said, because I've done that, I've become a household joke. But verse 9 says, but, everybody say, but. But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak his name, his words burn in my heart like a fire. It says, it's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. See, it's because you're not meant to hold it in. You're not meant to keep your gift to yourself. You're not meant to hold on to your, your testimony. Yes, there's parts that might be personal that you're not going to get up in front of and, and have, get in a pulpit and share. But God has done something in you because it's not for you. Yes, we've already preached that sermon. I'm not going to dissect the whole thing again. Yes, he's working in you at the same time. But meanwhile, while he's working in you, He's using it. It was for a purpose to save a nation. Right? There's an entire world out there that needs you. And he says, you know, this is, what's ha this is, the, this is the facts. I like Dan said it to me once, and I love it. I've grabbed a hold of it, and it's mine now, Dan. That there are facts, and then there's truth. Right? The facts are the world is mocking the church. Right? The facts are that they don't want to hear your Christian gospel. But the truth is that they need it. The truth is we have to give it anyway. The truth is that it doesn't even matter how they receive it. If I try to hold it in, it's going to burn within me. The truth is, even though I'm, I'm mocked and I've, I'm laughed at, that my testimony is meant to be shared, that I have comfort. I've been comforted by Christ. And yes, that's an amazing gift that I have. And that part's mine you know, the, my personal, but it's not meant to be held within. I can, I, it's simultaneously, I get to keep that for me forever, that he did it for me. What comes bursting out of me is the testimony of it that will share to another. I want you just to think about this as we close. I was thinking this morning about trees. Everybody say trees. I was thinking of how a tree, and uh, just... Uh, just this morning, as I started to pull the sermon, and uh, fine, I always do some fine-tuning on Sunday morning, and, uh, and I just woke up, sat on the couch really early, and just began to just meditate on this thought, and God does it sometimes. It was like an hour-long meditation, too. I don't, it's only going to be a minute. Um, but just this really deep picture the Lord showed me, and a tree can grow for hundreds and even thousands of years. Aaron just asked me the other day, he wants to go out and see the Redwood Forest, right? Aren't they 2,000-year-old, right? They're so big, right? Who's seen the iconic photos of a car that can, you know, they literally made a roadway through the trees? They're so big, literally Jesus Christ trees. You know, these trees were saplings when he walked the earth. And some maybe even older than 2,000 years. Um, and the thing about a tree is that they're alone, and yet they're in a forest. They're their own thing. They're their own entity, but yet they're in a forest of many other trees. 
and they live for a season, which I found interesting, without anything being required of them. I didn't even know this. The sugar maple, like we have growing around here, it grows for 30 years before it ever produces seeds. 30 years, it's just all it has to do is just grow. Just grow. And that's enough work on its own. It's a lot for a tree to grow, isn't it? And for it to make it out of the thousands upon thousands upon thousands. I mean, who's, who just went through your, who saw your seeds all over your ground recently, right? They've been blowing all over. Because we clean out gutters, you know, we pull out five-gallon buckets. There's got to be, you know, a thousand uh, seeds in, in about this much. So a five-gallon bucket, I don't know, 10,000 seeds, you know, in a little bucket. Uh and for, the, for a tree then to land in the right place and nobody cuts it down and it grows, uh, it's already something that it's worked for. That thing's worked hard to become 30 years old. And in some ways, it's just like human beings. And, you know, actually, um, the Jewish people didn't require anything of the youth up until 20 they were actually had, there was a season of time where you just need to just focus, and that's kind of the model we use with schooling, right? Right till about 20, 21, 22, your college, it's getting going like this now. Now it's five years and masters and masters, masters. One master's not enough, I mean, you need two now. But for a time, we kind of modeled after that. And so there's a season where it just grows, and then the tree then has something to give, They've grown through many seasons, and they've produced something to pass on. They're not purely there just to exist, but now they must reproduce. The tree built into its genetic code knows, I need to give now. I've made it, and there's something. I have something now to give. So from that point on, the tree begins to reproduce, and seeds are formed each year, in fact, the tree takes precious energy. I just, I was thinking about this, and this is what I found out in my study. The tree actually steals energy from itself. It could actually put that, it takes energy to put down roots into the ground, you know, especially hard, rocky soil like my land. It takes a lot of energy to grow, you know, deeper roots is a bigger tree. And what it does is it kind of pauses the other things, it pauses its own energy that it could be using for itself and actually potentially hurts itself for a season to produce seeds. And it's in part of its genetic code that God wired into a tree. Uh, I must give what I've been given. I've been given life and I must give life. And out of the thousands of seeds that fly all over the place, maybe one tree will make it into maturity. But there's a connection. The now mature tree owes thanks to the previous tree. His or her existence is because of the tree before it. But the previous tree can't take credit, even though it's true that this new tree would not exist without him, because he says, I was doing what I knew to do. Something greater than me is using me for a purpose to produce life. And secondly, a long time ago, I was just a sapling, 
There was another tree, a tree that had endured many harsh droughts and long winters that spread its seeds into the surrounding soil, and one of those seeds grew into the tree I am today. What I found out is that something supernatural happens, though. This is incredible. This is, you know, everything's a picture. You know that the Bible says that God uh, really doesn't give us grace for saying there is no God. God gives us a lot of grace, but you know that there's no grace for that. Dan, back me up. Right? There's not a lot of grace for that. He says, the fool says there is no God. He gives a lot of grace, but when you, get, when you say there's no God, because he says you can see it everywhere. You can see it in everything. Something supernatural happens. It's called stress crop. And when a tree is stressed by deprivation of nutrition... Water, there's no water. They have root damage. Humanity hoards. When we are stressed, what do we do? We go introvert. When we are stressed, right, we go internal. When we're stressed, we don't want anything to do with anybody. We certainly don't want to give anything to anyone. But do you know what the tree does? The tree produces more seeds. That's the year. In fact, you can tell if a tree is dying if it's producing an abundance of seeds. What the tree does, it's not, it doesn't have a soul. <laughs> it doesn't have a spirit. It doesn't have a mind. All it has is God-programmed genetics. And within, and actually, it's, I was thinking and meditating on this, maybe it's better because it doesn't have reason, right? Because reason becomes a war. We argue and we war, right? <laughs> but the tree doesn't argue. It doesn't have reason. The tree doesn't think, well, if I give everything I've got, what do I have left? If I give everything, am I going to die? The tree has the genetics that just, it knows within its programming to produce hormones. A hormone gets produced under stress. And what this hormone in the tree does is it results in more seeds than when things are good. Something in the tree says, I hope I survive, but I can't hold on to this life I have. All that I've worked so hard to do to grow into what I am is not only for me, but to give to another life as life was given to me. Seasons come and go, and trees, sometimes they bounce back. They might have a cooler summer, they have extra moisture, and the seed growth continues until its, uh, until its seed cycle's over, but it will never be as much as when the tree was stressed. The stresses of life are not given directly to you by God. But God, he doesn't say, let's just stress out, let me just stress the church out, let me just stress them out, and let's see what they do. God doesn't do that. But God uses the things that we go through, the things that stress us, because they cause us it, to go internally to our genetic code, which is to the Lord, right? When a situation happens, we already said at the beginning of the sermon, it makes you look deep, deep, deep within. And if you look within that genetic code, you're going to find the Lord. And what is the Lord? Who is the Lord? He is the giver. He is the giver of life. The Lord said, I didn't come to serve. I, I mean, I, I came to serve not to be served, right? He says, what is the greatest love? To lay down your life. There is something that happens within us. And I've seen that happen in your life, right? As you've given yourself to the Lord, uh, 
there's this joy that comes it doesn't make sense right and you just want to give more than you want to get and what happens is uh is that god in heaven is watching the bigger picture he sees you and he sees your circumstances and he will use what you've gone through for his glory in that time in fact there is more for you to give when you've gone through something than you realize if you have gone through something, you have something within you that actually written into your genetic code is meant to be given. Even the tree, who doesn't have a soul and a mind and a spirit and argue with God, it knows. Now's the time. I better give it because I don't know if I'll be able to give it much longer, right? So, uh, in fact, I read that some people will stress there's a, there's a way to get a flower to bloom more, you deprive it of water. Not every flower, but some plants, they deprive it on purpose because under stress, it will it'll bloom even greater than it did uh, during good times. And I think that's just like humanity, as I started earlier, right? Good times, we give glory to God. Yes, we do. But when we're stressed, man, we are on our faces before the Lord. When you're going through something, man, you are you are with God. And the point is that God's using it, building you, and for each other. He's going to give you a testimony to give to someone else an encouragement and strength that they need. Amen. We just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for this sermon. I thank you, God, that you have put it, Lord, within us. You have taken your word and you have put it within us. You've planted it inside of us, God. And I thank you, Lord, that just like every single growing thing on the earth, your word is the same. It's meant to grow and produce fruit, which, Lord, yes, we get to pick some of it for us, but I thank you, Lord, that it's for each other and it's for this world. Help us, Lord, to be a light in the darkness. Lord, to be help in the world that needs it. I pray that we would speak the testimony, whether they receive it or not, God. It's meant to be given. Most of the seed is scattered on the ground and lost, but I thank you, Lord, that that one seed that gets planted, one even just one of thousands of good deeds, Lord, it plants in someone's life. And I thank you, Lord, it sprouts and they become a tree of life themselves. I pray, God, help us to be like that. In Jesus' name, amen.